Hello, everybody. I'm at Information Development World with Dr. Carmen Simon, and we are talking about uh, the, the impact of content on memory of, of our customers. How is it that we can make content memorable? Uh, terrific presentation that uh, uh, Dr. Carmen Simon gave uh, just moments ago at uh, the, on the main stage keynote. And uh, uh, Dr. Carmen, thank you for, for joining me uh, today. Um, first of all, I'd like to start with understanding a little bit about uh, how we get memorable content into the minds of customers. Uh, what would you say are kind of the, 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 the tenets most useful to, to keep in mind when uh, authoring memorable content? Memorable content is a very complex concept, as you can imagine. There are many variables that impact what people f remember. More importantly, variables that impact what people forget. And um, there is a concept called the forgetting curve. It's a theory associated with the scientific formula that reminds us that whenever exposed to new information, the brain remembers um, and forgets very fast at first, but that forgetting slows over time. So um, as soon as you're exposed to new information, you forget about 90% of it after the first two days. And after a while, the little that you do remember tends to, um, to stick a little bit more closely. So the challenge and um, the opportunity that exists for all of us content creators is not to worry so much about how much people forget, but rather to be in control of that little they remember. Let's use that as a metaphorical percentage, 10%, because ultimately it's impossible to place a strict statistic on how much people remember. And when you're controlling of that 10%, then the question is, just like you said, how do we make sure that the right 10% sticks? And there's a continuum that happens in the brain. Usually people forget so much just because they don't pay attention to begin with. So if we learn how to capture attention, we already solve the battle because attention paves the way to memory. And then we also ask, why is it so important that people remember anyway? It's important to focus on memory because people make decisions based on what they remember, not based on what they forget. So as any modern communicators, if you learn a little bit more about attention guidelines, memory guidelines, and decision-making guidelines, it's those three combined that will get your audiences to spring into action in, in some way. Wonderful. Uh, one, one thing that really struck me was the power of content from, from, from the remarks you made about uh, uh, the placebo effect. Could you describe to our audience kind of what that, that placebo effect is and, and how content actually can trigger it? We were talking earlier in the session about um, placebos, and placebo, placebo pills have been receiving such a huge attention from the scientific community just because people are surprised at how potent they are, even though they are fake pills. And neuroscientists have been asking lately, how is that even possible? How is it possible that we take a pill that has no medication, and yet that shows impact on people who suffer from anxiety or depression or insomnia or digestive disorders, even in cases of, uh, of Parkinson's tremors. And um, what they're noticing is that these pills have the ability to activate brain parts that are responsible for generating beliefs and expectations and our reward center. And technology such as MRI, for instance, or EEG are helping us to pinpoint the neurological foundation of, of these spills. And it turns out that 
they're helping us assess a situation and uh, prepare us for action. So for instance, I was giving the example of when you hear an alarm and you see some smoke, you already know that you should prepare for an escape. And placebo pills do exactly that. They hook into the brain systems and are um, triggering us to, to act very quickly. And it's a natural system that we have. So with all of our content, for all people creating content out there, the practical guideline to extract from this is that whenever we hook into existing strong beliefs for hope or for optimism, that may be related to the ethics you were mentioning earlier, and we also give the brain some tools, such as placebo tools, placebo pills are actually tools. So hooking into beliefs and uh, providing tools helps pave the, uh, the path onto action because brain already has a natural ability to reach the finish line if we give it the resources to, to go there. So is it fair to say that content is actually impacting the biological organism of the human being? For sure. Anytime you're exposing your audience's brains to any type of content, you have the opportunity to impact neurochemistry. And that impact can go in one of the two directions. It can immediately establish a connection, can immediately establish trust, and when it does, and there are certain chemicals that are releasing the brain, such as oxytocin or dopamine, and those are, are chemicals that lead to a stronger bond, therefore more possibility for action. Or sometimes we go in the other direction, where content and the exposure to it creates uh, distrust. And as a result, those centers of the brain that do release chemicals that lead to something good are now closed, and the amygdala takes over, which assesses the situation, should I be fearful of this? Should I be protecting myself? What should I do next? And as a result, we're not so open to the next move. So be cautious when you create any kind of comment, any, any kind of content, and wonder what chemicals do I have the opportunity now to trigger in the brain? And that's all in your in your pen, in your hands. Terrific. So th that that is amazing. There's this uh, biochemical reality that that we're actually working with when we author content. We're 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 aligning our content with uh, with the receiver who is transforming that into a lived reality in some way. So that almost becomes biochemical engineering, really. Content is biochemical engineering. Uh, uh, is, is there, is, is there a, an ethical framework for, that, for, for use of content as a biochemical uh, tool? Well, yeah, yeah, for sure, because as we learn more from neuroscience, and we, it, it's a field that has been progressing so much in the past decade. As I was mentioning in the keynote, we used to know 30 regions of the brain. Now we know more than 300. We're definitely far away from knowing everything because technology, while it has advanced, it's not perfect. Some of these brain imaging technologies, for instance, uh, they can go fairly deep but not very far. Some of them don't capture things fast enough. This biochemistry that you're talking about happens sometimes in the brain so fast that currently we don't have any technology to really capture that speed. So by the time you have already thought of something, we don't know that is that the right image that we have captured in your brain because it may have been too late. But we're, we're making great progress. And there are some guidelines we can use. And of course, we would hope that whoever is using these guidelines uses them for a good purpose, not for a bad purpose, because you can go in, in that direction. And that's why there is such a fine line between persuasion and manipulation, because 
you have the responsibility now to put in people's minds thoughts that serve them well. With using these guidelines, we know it can impact memory. For instance, um, there are MRI studies that literally and physically show the birth of a memory. That's huge. And if we know that we can control memories, then we have to ask, are we placing the right memories in, in people's minds? And it's a, it's a big responsibility, and we would hope that as you use any neuroscience-based guidelines, you're thinking, what do I want people to act on next? Remember, people act on what they remember, not on what they, they forget. So if you're placing memories in someone's brain, the second step to ask after that, what will they act on? And is that tied to something that helps us to evolve versus something that destroys us? Wonderful. Use our content forces for good. Uh, that's great. I, 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 I see that. I wonder also if we can bridge to the concept of, of delivery teams for content and, and how well-formed, psychologically aligned content can get created. Is it a matter of educating content authors or changing our content process? How do we, how do we actually start to integrate some of your lessons into our teams? I'm enjoying this question because we're talking about memory and we're talking about the responsibility that we have for placing ethical memories in people's minds. But that means you as a content creator have to remember to even apply some of these guidelines that uh, we're preaching. So we were saying earlier, make sure that you learn how to get people's attention because that's what paves the way to memory. That is a guideline. But the, the point of creation, we still have to remember that we learned something in the past and now we should apply it for, for good reasons. And um, this is how memory happens. And lately I've been writing a lot about this concept called prospective memory. And prospective memory is remembering to act on future intentions. It is different than retrospective memory, which simply means reminiscing on the past. And prospective memory is a lot better to, to study for all of us in, in business because that means if people remember to do what you tell them to do at a future state, we all evolve and we all stay in, uh, stay in business. So as you're talking about teams and people getting together and following some processes, that means you're telling them to do something at point A, but you remember that they will remember it and act on it at point B. That's where prospective memory happens. And what happens really at, pro at point B when they're in the future now? First, they are supposed to notice some cues, and that will remind them of what they're supposed to do. So as you investigate your own teams and, and processes, constantly wonder, okay, I have some guidelines. Do I have enough cues that will remind people of what to do at point B? And only then do they search their memories. That's where retrospective memory comes into place. And also then they hopefully act on intentions, which is a, the third piece that completes the puzzle. So it's not just about memory. It's about building enough cues to trigger memory and also making the decision easy to, uh, to act on. Interesting. So there, there really is a strategic component, and then there's a, uh, a content author experience structure component as well to actually delivering. Uh, what's the right modifier? Is it uh, uh, memory-enhanced content? Or uh, what kind of content do you create that others don't? I would say it's a combination of memorable and actionable content because it's not sufficient for somebody to remember what you told them. The aspiration is that they act on what they remember. And um, sometimes people are missing that gap. Let's just say that you're doing the right things right now and you're capturing people's attention. You're doing the right things and you are staying in people's minds and you're controlling that metaphorical 10%. 
but do they do something with it? That's that missing piece. So as you're reflecting on your own content, ask what's the, uh, what will it take for people to act on their memories? Wonderful. Okay. Well, that that's a beautiful coda. And I'd love to also just get your perspective on uh, content modeling as an approach to uh, creating actionable, memorable content. Um, we, when we're creating structured content, we often break our content down into pieces and parts, title, subhead, body, uh, author, and, and then into further pieces uh, like uh, uh, synopsis and, and uh, mobile version of, of a content. So we've got a content model that is, is reflecting different parts of a customer's experience with our organization by breaking our overall messages into parts. Uh, does content modeling have a place in, uh, in, in, in the production of memorable content? Is there a way to approach memorable content through the actual structure of that content? Yes, I like your definition of content modeling and this idea of uh, breaking things into smaller parts. And those smaller parts feel juicy to the brain just because you're giving it the um, illusion, at least, that it can be something that's mastered because obviously it's a lot easier to control or master something small versus something that is large. And from that regard, you're giving the, the brain this ability to think, I can control what happens next. This is what we were talking about earlier, being able to predict the future. You can predict better if you have smaller components. But the caution remark that I would have is that as you're breaking things into smaller parts, memory is created based on associations and links between parts. So it is okay to chunk, but be cautious about having chunks that don't have very obvious links between them. Because if you're not helping the brain make the leap as to how does part A link to part B, link to part C, then we're missing out on that component that I was mentioning earlier in terms of cues. Because how does memory happen anyway? Somebody says something and that reminds you, oh, I have to go and stop by the store. And then the word store is now in your mind. And then you're thinking, oh, store, I, I should be uh, storing my boxes somewhere. And then the word box comes into your mind. And then you're thinking, oh, I should uh, be clean, doing a little bit of cleaning later on. So just be cautious as you divide and deconstruct, you're still giving the brain some links between those parts. Interesting, interesting. I love your work and every one of your talks I've seen uh, builds on, on a map. I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to, to maybe taking some of your longer courses. How do, you, how do listeners get a hold of you and, and discover more about your work? If you go to rexymedia.com and you access the workshops section, that's where we have the workshops that we provide listed. Rexy comes from the Latin verb to direct or to guide, therefore the name of our company. And we advocate that in any of these workshops or sessions that you attend, you learn how to guide your own audience's attention, impact their memory, and guide action. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Carmen Simon, for joining me at Information Development World. It's been a terrific 15-minute uh, conversation, and, and I look forward to seeing you again. Excellent. Thank you so much. Ooh, very nice.